0: heads the daily scrum can wait it's time for another stellar episode of .NET rocks the internet audio talk show for dotnet developers with carl franklin and richard campbell this is jeff macy here to announce show number 202 recorded live wednesday november 8th 2006 at tech europe in barcelona spain dotnet rocks is brought to you by franklin's net Training developers to work smarter and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com and by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who couldn't bribe his way Find through customs name. with an entire Camon Iberico de Beyota, Carl Franklin! Digital blood
1: hey, it's .NET Rocks in Barcelona! Yeah. Yeah. Crowd, listen to that crowd,
2: Richard Campbell. How are you? Oh, I'm enjoying Barcelona a lot. My first TechEd Europe, my first time in Barcelona, and yes. my first TechEd. What's up, what's up with that Gaudi guy? <clears throat> he was amazing. he was crazy. Yeah, that was something. I don't. I never thought of chimney fruit.
1: Yes. And when we got to the picture of the mushrooms, everything made sense. Actually, <laughs> uh, for those, we'll we'll provide context later. But anyway, Richard, we're here in Barcelona at TechEd Europe Developer. We have an agile panel. Yes, and we, we do. And they people. They've, they've
2: been agile for fifteen minutes now. I've watched them. <laughs> and uh, all three are veterans of .NET Rocks. Yes, they are. I say so.
1: On my left, the the beautiful, wonderful, and very talented RD of the year, Kate Gregory. Thank you, Carl. You're welcome. You want to eat that microphone so we can hear you. And the very soft-spoken and non-opinionated New Yorker, Stephen Forte. Hello there. (laughs) And the even more soft-spoken and even more non-opinionated Roy Oshirov. Hi, Roy.
3: Hi, everyone.
2: And we're covering a pretty good spectrum of the planet here. I guess That's I right. got the West Coast. Uh, we got a bunch of Eastern uh, North American folks, and then Roy all the way over in Israel. So we got the other end of the Mediterranean, too. Nicely done.
1: So opinions from all over the world today. You know, uh, Roy, uh, or Stephen, since you have the microphone, I'll ask you first. Uh, Agile as a methodology and the many different flavors, XP, et cetera, have... Uh now there's a controversial statement right there flavors of agile right I don't even want to go there but um it's anyway. taken off it seems to be taking off uh more and more and yet I only see one or two agile talks at TechEd do you think that's reflective of Europeans in general or do you think it's reflective of the popularity of agile as a topic in other words what's up with that man
4: well, to address your question, Carl, the reason why I do not think there are many agile sessions other than this one here at TechEd Developer in Barcelona, right, Royce, is that it's a development methodology, and usually development methodologies per se are not covered. People want to see code, and people come here; they don't want to hear about project management or meetings or anything like that. They come here wanting to see code and complain. When they don't see code. So I think that's the real reason. If we were at a project management conference or something maybe a little bit less developer oriented, we might see more on Agile development.
2: And, and yet, Roy, you have a session on Agile.
4: I had a full pre-conf uh,
3: day on Agile development with Team System, and I have two other sessions on Agile development and continuous integration. And here's what I can tell you people really really want to hear they can solve problems in their companies not only related to code but related to methodology so you know how to code but no one lets you code that's also a problem right yes and developers hear these buzzwords and they hear all this agile this, agile that, people are forcing it down their throats. they're doing, hey, you do test-driven development, even though you don't know what that means, you do pair programming, even if you don't know what that means, and people are, they want to know what that means first. Yeah, how do you do pair programming if you don't have any friends?
5: (laughs) Exactly my point. Exactly my point.
3: This is what happens in a lot of companies. Yeah, pair programming takes more than one. Um, yeah, apparently
1: <laughs> Bathing is part of the methodology too But it's the unwritten
3: law You must bathe Well, uh, what I found is that When you give it a name such as pair programming People are afraid to do it Such yeah. as when you give it a name such as extreme programming People are afraid to do it Because the word extreme is in there But if you just say, take to the developers And tell, tell them, you know what you guys Can you take this problem and just work on it together for the day No one is bothered by it, right? It's yeah. still the same thing it's all about the packaging as
1: well. It's just the methodology. You mentioned extreme programming. So what is the relationship of extreme programming to Agile? Um, you know, I probably goofed it up in my introduction, but it seems that people are touchy about
3: this. What is the relationship? Well, Agile development, the way I see it, is just a set of principles, a set of thoughts, uh, to, things to aspire to. There's the Agile manifesto, but The basic idea is that you have more communication, be able to deal with changes more easily, stuff like that. And there are some methodologies that subscribe to these same values. One of them is called Extreme Programming. Another is called Scrum. And they all try to do the same things in different ways, such as the length of the iteration, such as the the size of the team. And Extreme Programming is a very engineering-focused methodology. It tells you not only the size of iterations that you're going to use, it also tells you exactly what you're going to do when you build a specific features. So, uh, And Scrum is another one uh, of those methodologies, and that deals mainly with management. It tells you do small iterations, communicate with the client, then you have two to four weeks where developers do basically whatever they want. It doesn't tell you what to do, how much documentation to write. So what I find is people take practices from different methodologies, they bind them together, and they create their own custom methodology for their company, and that's what works best. So you'd say then XP, you wouldn't say it's a
1: flavor, it's an implementation of an Agile methodology. Exactly. If I was an object-oriented guy, but
3: I'm from VB, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I would say it inherits from Agile. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It implements. Implements iAgile, yeah. Uh, iAgile.
2: Spot the object-oriented guy. That's right. Kate Gregory, you run a fairly substantial shop in Ontario. I don't know how many people it is now. Seven people. Yeah. And a lot of projects on the go at any given time.
6: A lot. A lot of things being juggled. And so, you know, we're not formally Agile. If you know what I mean so. okay
2: formally or formally
6: formally I mean there's a lot okay. of people who are agile but then they have like a 400 page book about that yeah you know what I mean like and they got they got process and checklists all about how they're not hidebound by processes and checklists
2: uh, yeah the process of not being bound by a process I like that yeah. so did you
1: find that when you looked at agile that hey we're doing that
6: yeah, um, a lot of the things that, that people talk to were things we were naturally doing. I've been running this consulting firm for 20 years, and there are certain things you do to cover your own height. Um, if you work in a in a big enterprise where the, the milestones are a year apart, you can have six months during which your code won't even compile. But I can't do that. So our code has to always build and always work, and there might be like one button, okay, don't click that button, you know. Um, so I take a lot of the concepts of, of daily builds and nightly builds and test-driven development, and say, yeah, we were doing that. And then there are other things, and you go through this phase of saying, that's way too extreme. I would never do that. What kind of weirdo does that? And then a year later, you're doing. Oh, that. you're the you're weirdo. that kind of weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: and I and I find it interesting. You, you all carrying yourselves, and I think we're getting a real sense of this. That agile is no longer that extreme. This is the way we're doing development these days. And a certain number of people, Roy's shaking his head at me
4: i actually do think agile is fairly mainstream but i think that a lot of people hold on to the old methodologies i I manage four different teams at my company some of them in different countries and when you do the when you do a sprint we use scrum when you do a sprint a lot of times they're begging you to tell them kind of what's in the next release what's what's going to be in the next sprint and we're trying to say that's the whole purpose of this sprint you know focus on this sprint and it's going to change, very potentially going to change. So I, I think that while it is very mainstream, people still have that mindset because management might think that way or developers still kind of want to use the war for a model or something like that.
2: I think the classic conflict there is you can use Agile, but tell me when you're finished.
4: Oh, yeah, use Agile. <laughs> when are you going to ship? Give me an, a Gantt chart, please. Yeah, it, give it, could you could Yes. and a release checklist.
1: Speaking of alternatives, what is the alternative? I mean, there are some other more corporate, uh, structure, corporately structured methodologies. What are some of those, and, and what are the differences?
4: I think some of the alternatives is the very painful waterfall approach, where you get together, write a really long design document, have managers sign off on it, because then you can blame them. Your signature's on this paper. I gave you a pencil. You didn't tell me to sharpen it. And, and then what will happen is you go into then the implementation phase, which is when you're building it, and then you go into the QA phase, and then obviously the you know release phase. So I think that's the really only alternative that I know of that is that is considered mainstream. I don't know if anyone else has an opinion.
3: Well, the way I see it, um, I don't think agile is still mainstream. I think the the buzzwords are mainstream now, but people are still quite uh, afraid of change, and they're just trying to figure out what, what the hell is all this buzzword saying. Because a lot of things, practices have been practiced in, uh, <laughs> practiced in many uh, companies Some without naming Some sort of satanic ritual them.
1: going on next door. I'm sorry about that <laughs> interruption. Um
3: But there are two main differences between Agile methodologies and traditional, uh, I call them engineering methodologies, I'm not the only one, because the classic methodologies were taken from classic engineering, building engineering, and stuff like that, where you try to build bridges and buildings, and you have this architect that knows exactly what pressure points will be at any uh, uh, angle on a bridge, depending on the type of ground you're building on. They have mat- mathematical formulas to tell them if they have problems in the design and so on. And then you can build a very good design that is solid, does not change. You, you don't have a lot of errors with it. But in software, things are different, okay? You don't have mathematical formulas. At best, you have your friends to tell you if your design may be wrong, but you're still human. You can make a lot of mistakes. Then there's the human factor, unpredictability of people. So the main two differences to me that between agile and engineering is that engineering tries to predict the future. That is, you can try to predict what's gonna happen eight weeks from now, what am I gonna be working on, what each team member is gonna do, and of course, that changes on day two. And yeah. agile methodologies try to be adaptive. They know things are gonna change, they just adapt to the way they change. So assuming stuff will change, what are we gonna do? That's one change, and that and one difference, and the second difference is um, that engineering methodologies are process-oriented. So in an engineering methodology, if I have a good process, it doesn't really matter who's building the software. Just give me 10 software engineers and two team leads I'll build it in the same amount of time. Now, seriously, how many people do you know who, given the same project, will build it in the same amount of time? People are unpredictable. Mm.
2: Well, and is that also a factor of no good measures of the, quote, productivity of a given developer or the given skill of a developer?
3: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every developer has different skills, different uh, abilities, um, different strengths. They get along with people on the team. They get along with people on other teams. Mm-hmm. So you really can not predict, and estimation is very pro- problematic. Mm-hmm. So it's very much a, a team-oriented process in agile methodologies where the team gets to do a lot of the thinking and the decision-making, such as estimation, and how the process is actually going to work.
6: I think another really important difference between the the agile and the the process-heavy engineering model is about honesty. Because, you know, Waterfall, no one ever really did that, you know. We would tell the managers, yeah, it's it's signed now. It's totally not going to change. And and then it would change, right? The very next day, I forgot a column, you know. And everybody would sort of tacitly agree and might go back and update the documents or not, right? And then you'd go around saying you were 30% complete, which was just a number out of the sky, and then next week you'd have to be further along, so you'd say, okay, I'm 50% complete, you know? And and we got in the habit of having really no transparency between the people who are typing code, the people who are managing projects, and the people who are signing checks.
1: So I'm getting the feeling that, uh, to you anyway, Agile is somewhat about removing bureaucracy from the process.
4: I think that's fair. Yeah. I also think that besides removing the bureaucracy, it's actually showing true progress sooner, which is what the business always wants. Because yeah. if you have a project that's going to be one year long and you're nine and a half months in, then you're going to say, okay, we're going to be three months late, people start freaking out and potentially even canceling the project. If you divide that into you know, 12 sprints... At the end of sprint number one, you actually have some form of software working, some tiny little piece of the system. It builds confidence uh, for, for the business in you, and it also brings some functionality to the users sooner. Which it also
2: is, gives us a chance to find out we're going in the wrong way. Exactly. I think there's nothing worse than putting a year into a project and the software comes out and says, this is great, doesn't do what we want it to do.
4: It's much easier to cancel a project after two sprints than it is to cancel it after three months of specking and six months of coding.
2: Right. Right.
1: That's where the agility comes in. So are there other implementations besides extreme programming, or are we really, let's just call a spade a spade and talk about extreme programming?
3: Well, there is Scrum, and there is a DFD, and F- uh, feature-driven development. There are many methodologies. Um, you should really try to check them all out and see the differences. But if you subscribe to the, subscribe to the main ideas, I, I don't think you should even give it a name. I don't ever introduce XP internal organization. Yeah. At worst, I introduce Scrum because it's less scary. Well,
5: Scrum is m- cool more it's about cool, project
1: yeah. management and less about development. In XP, there's some some of the tenets of XP. Maybe we should share them. Uh, one of them that I like is breaking down very uh, complex problems into small problems, those that you can sort of finish in a day. Um, yeah.
3: Definitely, Is that an Agile or an XP or both? I think that's an incremental approach. It doesn't really matter what kind of methodology you use. I think uh, if you wanted to uh, take XP and put it in some kind of category, I would say it's the most engineering-intensive category. It tells you exactly what to do at each step, and therefore it actually requires the most amount of discipline of any of the disciplines uh, that I've mentioned earlier. And by the way, for those of you who, who've heard of Scrum you have no idea what that means, it's taken from a rugby term, okay, it's not an acronym, and rugby I like, sorry? For a
4: change, it's not an
3: acronym. Yeah, yeah for a change, it's not an acronym, just a, a rugby term of when a team gathers together and plans what they're going to do for the next round of the game. It's like, it's like football, only people really try to kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I,
2: I certainly had some experience with Scrum, and I know all of you have, uh, in a consulting role, because it's a great technique to come in on an existing team and start introducing some some process and some change to it. Uh, I, Steve, I know you've been up against this as well. Maybe you want to talk about that, that style of using Scrum.
4: Scrum is a great tool for both developers and managers. One of my key problems with XP is they want you to sit the programmer with the team, the business folks that are actually going to be using the program. In theory, that's great, but it it tends to a lot of micromanagement by non-technical people. And of course, in a consulting environment that Richard just alluded to, I have some contractors overseas in in a couple different countries, they can't sit with the business users. They're 8,000 miles away. What Scrum does is it it forms what's called a sprint. So you do a sprint and you spec out something for a period of time. So let's say it's going to be a one-month sprint. And you spec out something from A to Z and say, we're going to code this in one month. And we're going to code it the way we want to. And we're going to meet every day for 15 minutes and have a scrum meeting. And what the scrum meeting is going to be, what did I complete yesterday? What were the issues I faced yesterday? What do I need from you, the business, on those issues? And what am I going to do today? Or unless you're meeting at the end of the day, what am I going to do tomorrow? Or something like that. And that works very well for the developers because the longest they can kind of bang their heads against the wall and do something is, is a maximum of one day. And that's the most you're going to lose. Sometimes if you kind of have this traditional waterfall approach, a developer could kind of cycle off for three or four days before you check in on them and say, hey, you haven't checked in any code in a long period of time. So it's uh, worked quite well in a consulting environment as well as in my environment where we're not consultants. We're doing um, you know, development internally.
1: So what, why is this, you know, when, thing, when new technologies and methodologies come out, you know, if they're good, they get embraced. If they're not, I mean, it's, sometimes it takes a long time. Why is, why Roy, do you think that this is still a sort of, uh, not yet uh, completely acceptable, uh, agile methodology is not completely acceptable? Is it because it takes too many people's jobs out of the process, maybe? Does it, uh, is it simplifying to the point of not cooperating in the corporate environment? What do you think?
3: I think uh, one of the main problems in introducing uh, a new methodology, any new methodology to an organization is how you introduce it. And especially with agile development, people, people are so, uh, they, they so much want it to work, they try to introduce a lot of features at the same time. And like it or not, people are afraid of change even if it's good. So I think a lot of times it fails because you try to do too many things at once such as smaller iterations, um, better communication, nightly builds, uh, maybe test-driven development all at the same time. Well, what I usually suggest is to try with the simplest things that could possibly work on in an organization. You can do a nightly build and not change anything in your process tomorrow, yeah. and no one will be scared of doing that. You can add to that unit testing. It doesn't have to be test-driven development, right. and no one will be afraid of that. People will want to try it out. But, and that's, that's one thing. Another thing that, that fails is when you force people to do things. I've been personally involved in a project where, this is one of the first projects that I consulted with for agile development, and I was just a new consultant back then, and we tried to take this big company and implement parts of extreme programming into the development organization. And they were forcing developers to do test-driven development and pair programming. And I was, uh, for lack of a better word, the watchdog. I was the guy who was going room to room saying, hey, uh, it doesn't look like you're doing a TDD. Can you tell me what's going on? And yeah. can you maybe I can help. So I was like the annoying consultant guy going from room to room that everybody hated, <laughs> but no one told me, right? Yeah. And I think that was one of the biggest mistakes. It's, it's how I learned that people will not do anything that they don't really want to do. In fact, I've seen teams fail their... Uh, their their management by doing exactly what they wanted. And I've seen books on XP, for example, that
1: say number one rule is you're either in or you're out. Everybody has to be in, or, do, or it's not do it
2: Yeah, it's it's too much.
4: And yeah. I, I agree with the comments you just made, and I want to add to it: is you need management buy-in. If you if, up to the level of every stakeholder in the company, from the janitor to the CEO. Because what happens is, if you sell the middle-level me- management and even the upper management on using you know agile development, and then you have the CEO storming in, saying, what percent complete are you? Or let me see your Gantt chart, and yeah, you fail. There's nothing that, on the web. There's nothing going yeah, to yeah. work. Right, there's nothing on the web.
2: Kate, you're running a consulting firm, and I know you have very big customers. And i got to imagine, I'm not going to name them, uh, I got to imagine that these guys come to you every so often. Says, "I got one year and X many dollars. I need this built. How do you, you know, satisfy that?"
6: Well, you're right. I mean, they have a very enterprising way of thinking, and they they honestly believe that if nine women get together, they can make a baby in a month.
2: Right. <laughs> well, we get nine.
6: That's right.
2: If and I get eighteen,
6: <laughs> you can have twins. <laughs> so the. Uh...
5: Nine
6: months. Yeah, yeah, and the mythical the mythical man month is still true. Yeah. You know, adding more people to a late project makes it later. Yeah, and and they liked those lies that we were thirty percent done. You know, mm. and but they and were all lies. They totally were lies. But but. Then they found out at the very end of the project, you yeah. know, when you were 95% done and then you were 96% I done. I always see that
2: as the progress bar. It goes up to 90% and just sits there for a year. Right? <laughs> just like real progress bars. Very exactly. quick, that first part. So
6: you can still, you know, most of us have a gut on our estimating anyway. Right. So you do all this, okay, it's going to be an ASP.NET application. I need this many days to design the database. It's going to be this many pages times blah per page. And a number comes out and you go, no.
2: <laughs> that's too long.
6: That's too, it's really They'll never be buy that. Desks. And then you go back and you fiddle everything so that it adds up to that.
2: You get right? the number that you wanted to get.
6: So so given that you know that this is a year's worth of work, then if you break it out into things that always run and always work, you can say, you know, in phase one you will have, I don't know, your data entry screens. And so you're still, uh, you're not spending three months writing the spec and then going and coding. Right. You've still got one day's worth of saying, oh, we'll do the data entry and then we'll do the calculations yeah. and then we'll do da-da-da-da. And then from then on, you you run things the way you want to. And then you can actually give them percent completes that mean something.
2: We have a question over at the microphone
7: there, one of our listeners or one of our attendees. (laughs) Hi there. Um, I actually think you've just addressed part of my question, but I was going to ask something very similar to the question you just asked, Richard. So I work for a big consultancy, and we go into very, very large companies. Um, But what we tend to find is that when we are given a sort of request for proposal, a lot of companies, because they are, they're big projects and they need to be run and they need to be done by a certain point, either because of regulatory pressures or because of financial pressures, um, they usually have a fixed end point and they come out with a set of requirements and they say, this is what we need to build. And in a lot of cases, they want a fixed price project as well. We were talking classic government RFP kind of stuff. And if the military can't change it, goodness knows we can't change it. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, I don't think we have a problem... Uh, convincing the developers to go agile because obviously a lot of developers you know, they want to use the, the latest cool toys the, the problem we have is convincing the, the people who are financially responsible for that project to actually buy into the agile methodology and try to get them to understand that this can actually work um, and the other, the other aspect that we, we tend to come across is when we of course walk away as a consultancy, we, we do our job we, we provide a, soli- uh, a solution and then uh, we, we leave them with it Agile methodology doesn't necessarily, although I'm sure it was going to uh, kick me for this one, but in terms of documentation, when you walk away, you don't necessarily have the same amount of documentation that you would have if you ran like a standard, classic waterfall approach.
2: Well, and, and I've heard the line before that the best feature about waterfall is its support for the lawsuit at the end. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You've got all the documentation now to protect yourself when you fail. Uh, And Agile really doesn't generate all of this. But I'm still going to go off to Kate after this, because I know you have projects like this. You have these companies that have fixed timeline, fixed feature set, fixed price. How do you convince them? How do you make this work for them?
6: Well, in a way, this is going to contradict what Steve said about needing the the total management buy-in. But... You know, I go back in this industry to when I had to convince people that objects were a cool thing. Right. You know, people would say, well, I really like my for loops, you know.
5: <laughs> think the whole
6: concept of a while is a good idea, and I don't want you to get rid of that. You can write procedural code inside the methods it's you okay. know, of your objects. And so similarly, you can mini-waterfall your phases in a, in a project which is overall agile. So here today, while we're doing the data entry screens... We don't actually know what the reports are going to look like, and nobody stays up at night and worries about that. Right. Because no matter what those reports are going to look like, they're going to be X days per report. When we get there, and you've seen the data entry screens, and you've remembered, oh, yeah, everybody has a fax number and a page number and whatever, then we'll design the reports, and we won't waste our time, you know?
1: Um, So, Kate, that brings me to the next question, which maybe, and I know you want to follow up, Roy, but... What can the listeners do if they have bought into, you know, an agile methodology? They have seen the light. They have seen where this can help the company and the bottom line. And yet there's a manager, there's a boss, there's a financial guy who sees you coming a mile away, you know, who knows what, you know, you're going to suggest. And at the first suggestion, he's going to shoot you down. What, you know, what are some practical advice you can give us?
4: One, one practical advice is to convince someone to do a pilot of, of one month. And if you're in a very large organization, you can even tackle the same project that they're going to do on the waterfall. And when the users see some functionality after that first sprint, light bulbs will go off in the head and it will start to spread like wildfire. That's what happened in my organization. Our ce- we're very small. We're 15 people. And our CEO would always be like... We need to know the percent complete, you know, the standard format. You know, when you guys are going to be done? And he was very reasonable, but he just was brought up in that kind of traditional approach. And we built a version of our data engine about a year ago, and it took about six months, and we were going to build the next version. And, you know, we spec that first version to be four months, and it took six months. And what was great was we had all this stuff we left for version two, and we said it would take about six months. So he's like, oh, it's going to take eight or nine months. We need some of this stuff soon. I said, well, don't worry. We're going to be using agile development, but there's a cost. And the cost is you can't ask us these particular questions or you can't expect this or you know you're gonna change the way we kind of do business. And we convinced them now we're lucky in a small organization, but we could do the same thing in a pilot because once that first sprint came about, we made sure that the features that were important to the user and were pretty plumbing like were in that first build. A lot of a lot of light bulbs went off. So last point with the gentleman's question over there. About the government projects. If you have a fixed budget, fixed time, and fixed features, you can still be pretty agile. Because in agile development, you can have the list of features. You're just not doing every feature in every sprint. So you can say, you're going to get 12 one month sprints out of us, and we're going to cover pretty much these features for this cost. And then, you know, try to manage it on your end. As Kate said, kind of have a waterfall facade in front of your actual, um, you know, each one of your sprints.
3: Well, I I hate to disagree a little bit. Um, I don't think you can be really agile with fixed time, cost, and feature set, um, because things change over time, and because everything is fixed, and you're you're contracted out of everything. If uh, the customer changes their mind, they have to, to pay fine, or you have to pay fine. If stuff takes longer, you're gonna be cornered out. It's gonna be a problem. Yes, you can uh, do it if stuff doesn't change, because just like any other project, you think it'll take you X time, X amount of time, and it takes you a different amount. So you you implement just uh, half the features that you thought. Just like any other project, it's just an agile project now, right? So this is reality. The thing is. Because everything is fixed, you're not going to get customer collaboration. And because you don't have customer collaboration, you won't be able to get the visibility you need. However, uh, I witnessed a project of a large company based in Israel, and they had an office uh, in Ireland. And the guys in Israel, they were working really a a CMMI, you know, very tough process, uh, not very productive. But the guys in Ireland, they were committed to the same process. They had to do weekly check-ins on the source code and stuff like that, and a Gantt chart. But they were working uh, using Scrum and XP practices locally. So they were doing internal iterations, but still subscribing to the to the end check-ins. So they removed parts of what, what was possible, and they said, okay, requirements may change, and no one, of course, prepares us to it, but because we do internal iterations, the quality will be higher, it will be easier to deal with the change because we have unit tests, and stuff like that, but at the end of the week, they simply synchronized the latest versions of their code and so on to the mothership, if you will. So it's possible to create this little bubble where life is sort of perfect and you have small iterations, but at the end, you'll have to synchronize with the outside world. I think this sort
2: of speaks to Stephen's comment about uh, pilot projects, that inside of a bigger organization you can have a small team doing this and still integrating with an existing project.
3: Well, yes, you can try to convince people to do pilot, and if that works, great. But I've seen places where teams just started doing it all on their own. In fact, in one of the largest companies that I've consulted with, the the idea of agile development and unit testing and test-driven started out by a team that just did it. I mean, for a while, they were like the team with the best quality code, and they were passing. And because it's a large organization, they were getting prizes, you know, like uh, a dinner and stuff like that, because integration took the uh, the least amount of time for that team. And people were starting to wonder what they were doing right. Mm. And they were just handling their own process locally. But that's because their their client was internal. Right. They were just part of a large project, so it was easier. When your customer is external and requirements may change, but everything is fixed. I think it's going to be almost impossible. So you should also know when to try to avoid, to just try it. It may fail miserably. Getting back to the pilot project, Stephen, for one sec before you reply, I just want to see
1: a show of hands, and I'll translate that into a number for the listeners, of how many people who, who think that they could convince their boss to, for, to try an agile development methodology for one month?
2: That's, uh, that's half the room. That's more than I thought. Yeah. That's about half, half the, the room. room. I'm impressed. Half the room. Yeah. Wait, a question?
4: Actually, before that question, I just wanted to just finish up on that last comment is a lot of the times in an organization where you they're asking you for fixed price, fixed cost, fixed time, that's the person you're negotiating with and that's the person who's in the procurement office and signs the checks, but it's actually not the people you're delivering the software to. So if you can get past those guys, you probably then can convince the people who are accountable for that budget to use Scrum or XP or something else.
6: Well, the other thing I wanted I wanted to add to that is that it's true, Roy, that everything changes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the cost of doing it changes. So if I spend a real long time at the front, you know, specking out all of the reports and and, and sample prototypes of them and so forth and so on, and then at the end of the project you want to change the layout of the report, that's a change request that costs money. But if at the beginning I say, okay, I believe you, you're going to have 12 reports, we'll be doing your reports in February. And at the beginning of February, then we lay out the reports, and they have changed from what they would have been a year ago, but it doesn't cost any extra because we didn't We didn't
2: didn't do that work up front.
4: And and those changes will come because of the previous sprints, because they've actually been using functionality sooner, and the changes will be less severe and more intelligent. All right. All right, should we take a question from the audience? Yeah, he's
6: been
2: very patient. Thank you, sir.
6: I just want to hear your opinion about agile in a virtual team setup. Can that be possible?
2: Agile with virtual teams. Teams. Boy, I think I'm going to go after Steve here, Mr. Virtual.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, I have... uh, Four development teams, one in New York, one in Karachi, Pakistan, one in Pune, India, and one in Cairo, Egypt. So it is a virtual team and it's a global team. And I actually think if we weren't doing agile development, we wouldn't be able to do it. It's, you know, we do our scrums every day on IM. Okay so we use MSN Messenger or Yahoo Messenger and we do we do the scrum on instant messenger we pass the, you know screenshots and documents back and forth in the IM window and they say this is what we need from you and I and they said this is what we did today and this is what we're doing tomorrow uh, because of the time zone difference so it, it actually I think I would not be able to manage these teams remotely if I wasn't using scrum and agile development
1: You know dot net rocks would not even be possible today if it weren't for the great support of our first sponsor, Data Dynamics. And their product is the one that we really love, ActiveReportsfor.net. It's easy to use. It's powerful. You just create the reports. You put them right in your assemblies, and you ship them with your code. They have uh, HTML and PDF support. They've got an excellent access upsizing wizard so that you can get your access reports into ActiveReportsfor.net. It works for Windows Forms, works with ASP.net. It's easy, and it just works. And best of all, it won't break the bank. And that's what we love about Data Dynamics. Data Dynamics has got a lot of other great tools, too. And you should check them out. Please check them out at datadynamics.com. Another question from the audience. Um, well,
8: I'm very convinced already that Agile is pretty kind of acceptable and we implement it or try implement it somehow in the team. So I want to challenge you with a kind of a practical question. Um, well, okay, for example, according to Scrum, who is or what is the team that is developing that product backlog or sprint backlog? And if you answer, for example, that it's like a developer's team, then I think actually developers should concentrate on the current sprint. If it's some different team, then I uh, kind of feel difficulty that this some different team might not really kind of okay. specify it well for developers, or I don't know, kind of write it down the same way what developer team understand. So kind of specification team, or am I talking now agile or not?
2: <laughs> so I think I get your, your concern here, which is the current the, the developers working on a sprint yes. need to be focused on that sprint. Yeah, but somebody's got to plan the next sprint.
8: Exactly. And the
2: logical person to plan that are the guys working on the current one, but they're busy. Exactly. So who does the next
4: sprint? What we've done in my organization is the Scrum Master, which I guess is the you know agile term for the pro- for the um, you know the business and it, owner. And is that you, Steve? Are you the Scrum Master? I am is the Scrum the Master on two of the four projects. Yes. <laughs> Is
8: it the same guy like a product owner and the scrum manager?
4: Not necessarily the same person as a product owner. The product owner is usually the business person who's going to be using the project. So, as, you know, as was stated before on the panel, every single person who probably uses agile development manipulates it to their own organization's needs, and that's what we've done. And we've made the, the scrum master someone who's slightly more technical than maybe a, a regular traditional waterfall product manager. And they'll work on that, that backlog pretty intensively because they know, because they do the scrum daily, so on day 18, they know where the team stands. They know if they're going to need a few extra days. They know if they're going to miss a complete deliverable inside of you know, and put something into the backlog. And they'll work with the team as soon as the sprint is over to then build that next sprint. So there always is a little bit of a lag, but then again, it also was a sprint. The team does need a little bit of a break.
2: Can I summarize here, Steve? I think you, you hit some key elements about a scrum master. Uh, obviously, business savvy has some glass of what the issues are. Uh, is technical enough to be able to communicate with developers without having any thrown at them. But I think the most important thing was not in the development process, but is in the
4: scrums. Correct. So they're, they're not a developer and not in the process, but they're in that daily scrum every day. So they they know how things are going. That's where their source of information comes from. Where so they're it's still,
8: still a team member, kind of, but a uh, team leader...
4: Well, I mean, not a team leader as far as the developers are concerned, right? The yeah. developers are going to form a team leader amongst themselves. That's the power of agile development and the power of Scrum. This is more of a person accountable more to the business, but is technical enough to then communicate those business needs to the developer and communicate the developer's needs to the business. Because a gotta, lot of times the developers need things from the business as they kind of start, you know, pounding out and building some code.
2: It's got to be someone who's in a Scrum and has some idea what's going on, yes. can follow that.
3: Um, and I think uh, the short answer would be that there is a break between scrums, which is when you plan it. And for me, the dev team is part of it, and the customer or the customer representative, or, or at least the product owner, is part of it, and also the scrum master. And I've known some scrum teams that have used uh, continuous uh, uh, sprints. That is, that while they have two teams running a scrum, and while the scrum is actually going on, there's another scrum starting in the middle. When, and where, where they plan the features from the same backlog. So it's always one scrum in the middle while one scrum ends. So that's also possible, but it's a bit harder to manage. That's what
8: we do, and we have a challenges that actually another team don't necessarily understand this team that is implementing it.
1: And Steve, I saw you shaking your head. Maybe we, should,
8: maybe we should try, for example, to switch kind of to the mode where we have a kind of week in between, for example. Well, I we, don't know.
4: But. We've tried that to have the simultaneous sprints, and we've even done it on a website where there were two distinct features of the website. You know, one was a user interface feature where it was for businesses to come in, and one was a consumer facing, and it just didn't work because there was just too much plumbing and overriding each other's code. So we've really learned that. Y- you know, Scrum Scrum and Agile is very good, but we can't really have simultaneous sprints going. It it failed for us.
2: I think we've also walked up to a fairly significant, you're certainly welcome, Uh, we've walked up to a very significant issue. We've talked about it already, which is buy-in. It's all well and fine that the Scrum Master is planning the next Scrum. But that break between Scrums is not just a brain break, because we can't code every minute of every day, but also an opportunity to say, to get buy-in from the rest of the team. Here's what I think the next sprint should be. It's not cast in stone. Mm. It's you guys have been working on the project. I've been watching you work on the project. I see these things. I think this is what we should do next. Now let's talk about it. The output of sprint A feeds into sprint B, in other words, directly.
6: The other problem I have with the simultaneous sprinting or uh, even with pair programming, when that's all the people do is pair programming, is that it's, it's wonderfully freeing not to have the 700-page document telling you what things look like and just to be able to write what you think needs to be written. And it's terrible if you stomped on someone else's code or they stomped on your code. And then the management says, you know how we're going to prevent this code stomping? We're going to have documentation before you write. You're going to say what you write, blah, blah, blah. And you're back where we all were like 15 years ago. So the only way to truly have that freedom to solve the problem as you want to solve it is knowing that no one else is working on that problem that you're working on right now. And that can't happen in a simultaneous approach. And
1: something that comes to mind, um, I know that there's are speakers' uh, questions out there, but something that comes to mind is it works for one team but not for another team. It works for one manager but not for another manager. I mean, the people involved really are going to determine whether an agile methodology is going to work. And, you know, sometimes we forget about that. Like if we just have the right procedures, everything will just fall into place. But you can smell these guys coming a mile away who you can say, mm, no. It's just not going to work for this person.
4: Uh, You're definitely right. There's people who are bureaucratic just by nature because they, right, exactly. And they
1: require it, and you require it As Kate said, the cover-your-ass
4: syndrome. um, She didn't want to say it. I said it. (laughs) I mean, there are
1: are customers I've had who I wouldn't start code line one without some kind of spec because I knew I'd be like, oh, one more thing, oh, one more thing, you know.
7: Let's uh, take a question from the left there. Actually, a question which is relating to that. Um, one of the core fundamental principles of any agile methodology is the fact that the development team and the customers can talk to each other and communicate, and that the customer can make decisions on a very you know, quick turnaround and a very agile uh, basis. But when we go into big uh, places and we do big projects, the, the fundamental problem we have is that we have you know, millions and millions of stakeholders in mean, one uh, project I was on recently, we had to do some reports. We defined the 25 reports, but we had 67 people who had to sign off on the specification oh, of those ouch. reports.
2: Yes. Because no need one Need a process sign- for managing signatures.
5: Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't sign that off. You My should manager sprint has to sign that off while I involved. Yeah.
7: <laughs> So um, to get around this 67 uh, uh, sign-offs and, and people who, are, uh, uh, who need to be involved in that process, I know you guys have faced similar problems. What do you do in terms of creating that kind of customer proxy that can make that decision? Yeah, I think, and, you, and you've
2: phrased it exactly right, they need a proxy. you got to get at least 60 of those 67 people to say, if that guy says it's okay, I think it's okay too. Uh, and that's a fairly challenging thing to, to get to. Anybody want to go there?
4: I, I probably have the least experience in this. I've, I've done this probably about 10 years ago. I worked on accounts that size, and I'll let the others add to it. But what we used to do... Is we used to ask them and push the onus back on them and say, "Can you provide us one interface point for all of the change requests and things like that?" I see you shaking your head, so you've probably been down that road before, and it's worked about fifty percent of the time. So it's really a, a crapshoot in that respect. Did an ad or run? <laughs> run away. Uh,
3: okay. There's a very simple answer to this. The ah. oh. world is waiting. <laughs> well, it's really, really hard.
5: <laughs> hey! <laughs>
3: I mean, let's be realistic. It's not going to solve all our problems. If you're going to have 67 signatures, doesn't really matter what methodology you're going to use. Right. You're going to have problems, okay? So this is just uh, a hindrance. This is something that the Scrum master and the product owner have to f- figure out for themselves as a process that the team does not have to deal with. And uh, what I usually do when I have a lot of stakeholders and they all need these features and whatever... 67 boxes of chocolates? (laughs) (laughs) $67,000 maybe. uh, What I usually do is I I give it a prioritize phase where it's just like a feature. People sign up for features. And the easiest way I do prioritization with many people is that uh, based on the amount of features and so on... I give each one of the stakeholders a specific amount of points, let's say it's dollars. So if I have 20 features, I give about fifteen 10 to fifteen dollars to each stakeholder and their li- the list with an Excel, basically, and I tell them, "Here's fifteen bucks. spend it on the features you want the most. You can only spend fifteen. Put one, three, five, whatever. Put fifteen on one feature if you really want to. Yeah. And then what I have in the end is uh, the sum of everyone's. Uh, uh, Count on each feature, what I get is a very good prioritization of features on the reports. Now, they can't actually do uh, one point per feature. They don't have enough points, right? So you have to be realistic and give priorities. And you can do that several rounds and actually show people that priorities are very different between these features and then do it in one big meeting or like half a day if it's possible. And then you get this, you show the numbers, and then you get more, more status quo of how to decide things. But it's not going to be easy anyway.
4: Uh, actually, quite a want quick add to that, and then I'll hand it back to Kate, is we tried the same thing uh, about 10 years ago, and it failed because they got emotional over the money. So we got very creative. This was about six or seven years ago. I worked at a company, and the, the CEO's last name was Macintosh. So we created a fictitious unit of measurement. Instead of using money, it roughly equated to maybe a developer week called Macintoshes. And then we actually ran them off on the printer and printed out, you know, as many as we had for, you know, a allocated amount of time. And we then said, you know, at the beginning of, you know, a six-month budget cycle, you know, the marketing department has 400 Macintoshes, the... You know, this department has 300 Macintoshes. This department has, you know, 800 Macintoshes. Now, we got CEO buy-in because we were using her last name. But what was interesting is we became removed, we being IT, became removed from the prioritization process because I actually watched the marketing department trade Macintoshes like they were, you know, sporting cards. Okay? <laughs> they were trading Macintoshes, like doing those little side deals behind our back. Well, I know we're only allocated 500 Macintoshes by IT, but we really, really need this feature, which is revenue generating. Can we borrow, you know, 200 Macintoshes from you and next quarter we get some of your Macintosh? Market it, forces it, at work. It right? actually worked. And yeah. the reason why it worked is because we didn't use a dollar amount a physical money value. We used some, we just made it up. Um, the person who talked me this was ron rose the cto at priceline.com when i was consulting with him and he used m&ms so (laughs) the
6: The other thing that i would do in that context is try to change your role from some sort of it consultant or provider of software into like a business process re-engineering consultant and say what kind of life are you living that 67 different people care what's on these reports
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right we have another question question on the right here
7: yeah, um, going back to the virtual team question, can you tell me what you believe would be the key successful KPIs for a successful team running in an Agile mythology? What type of skill sets do you feel are required in each of the separate offices to ensure success?
4: So so the question is for virtual teams, what are basically the, the things that we do to evaluate and the skill set that we do to, to make sure that this team is going to be a success?
7: Yeah, and, and as well as what skills do you believe you need in each of the in each of the offices to ensure that, you know, collaboration between the teams is um, is successful?
4: Well, the hardest answer, the hardest, again, simple but hard. What you really need to do is go visit them and look them in the eye because you can't build the virtual team that you've met somebody over the Internet and they've sent you a couple of emails and you just start a relationship. You have to go there and explain what your business is going to do, what their role is, so it's only going to be applicable in a long term. If you have a short-term process, you can kind of hope. You know, if you have a two-month project, two sprints, and you just met these guys over the Internet, it may work out just fine, it may not, but it's two months, so who really cares? You really need to go and build it. And then um, most likely, the biggest thing you're probably going to look for is not even a technical skill. It's someone who's willing to communicate and not be afraid to tell you what's wrong and what's not wrong. Because a lot of time when you outsource, especially when you outsource overseas... They always want to tell you everything's fine, and and that's the biggest problem. You have to find the people who are going to tell you that, no, everything's not fine, and I need this from you. And a lot of times, folks will just want to push things over the wall and give it back to you and say, oh, no, this is broken, and this, and then you want the people who are going to have that type of creativity. A lot of times, once you find one or two people, they'll go and recruit the others for you believe it or not. And that's that's the methodology we've used. We've identified one or two key people in these outside offices, and they've, they've actually went out and recruited the people for us. Roy, you have a comment? Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, one of the most successful techniques I've, I've seen for managing
3: risks, with especially with virtual teams, where you don't have a lot of communication face-to-face, is trying to find places where the project fails. But how do you get that out of people, so one of uh, the project managers, managers that I, I, I know told me that on one of the projects he had, two months before the project ended, he gathered all the people and, uh, and the guys also in the, on the chat and the audio and stuff like that, and he said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Imagine it's the end of the project, and it failed miserably. <laughs> Why did it fail? And people started saying, well, it, it, it would have failed because you, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And it raised a lot of problems people didn't want to consider because you put them in that special mind state. And it also shows that you're open to this kind of criticism. And it really, really did work. They were able to find a lot of problems. But well, I would suggest doing it on a weekly or a monthly basis from the beginning of your project, no matter who your team is, especially if your team are... Um, People who don't like to talk too much, you know, they're not comfortable with being very, uh, very, uh, very, well, not truthful, but very um, outspoken, outspoken or transparent.
1: Another question?
7: On this side? Out of the various practices in Agile, what does the team think are the most important ones? Most important practices
2: in Agile methodology, you gotta have or you're not gonna succeed.
3: Start with Roy. You asked what the team thinks. And I think it depends on the team because each team has specific things that they value the most. Some teams really value the uh, unit testing and test-driven development. Some teams value the most the smaller iterations. They can do a lot without uh, test-driven development, but they do a lot of automated tests by QA. It really does depend on the team. For me personally, I think... You cannot deal with change without regression tests. So either you have automated unit tests and you create them using test-driven development, you get the best results, but you don't have to. Unit tests, are think, are essential. I think an automated build process and continuous integration process is essential. These are the two most basic things you can do to start having your rhythm in a project and becoming more agile. And then you can start hanging on more stuff on that rhythm that happens every night or every time someone does a check-in. You can do deployment to testing and stuff like that. And then you can short- shorten the iterations, but you don't have to right now. You can start with that, and you can deal with changes more easily later. Wouldn't you say continuous integration
1: is sort of a big no-brainer you know in terms of selling it upstairs just because
3: it's such so metric oriented yeah it's one of the easiest features anyone can implement the the idea is that you have an automated build that happens every night and we all have that right yeah okay well not all I of us, and I, I really
2: think Roy that the key here is fully automated build Yeah, fully build automated. should be no more no than a one single touches command it right different. and all all continuous integration is is you know, if you get to automate a build where it's a single
3: command to run it. Now you write a script that runs it every hour. That's scheduling. That's, that's one thing, that a scheduled automated build, that's I think the most basic, basic thing everyone can do. It's really important. It's really easy at the beginning of a project. If the project is really uh, coming along, it's going to be harder to make it work, but it's worth it. And you should have a, a build master in your team. I think that's a very good idea. Someone who knows how, how, how the build works, how to configure it. And um, then you do continuous integration, which is just the process of making that automated build run whenever special events happen, like a check-in or stuff like that. New tests, etc.
4: The more people on your team, the more important that daily build becomes. Uh, that's, that's, that's very vital. But the question was, you know, is there one thing that's the most important thing to the team? And over the years now, for about two years now, I think it's the daily scrum. And the, because the communication that comes out of that, because it's, oh, the, the build failed. Why did, so the Scrum is about the build and why it, why it failed. And, and um, that, that's not the when you first start using Agile development, when a developer comes from the, the waterfall approach and now has been using Agile for the first two or three months, they'll say things like the daily build or this or that. After they've been using Agile for about a year and they're using Scrum, they'll say the daily Scrum because they realize that they're not being micromanaged. And it's a chance for them to alert people because a lot of developers are paranoid. How many, how many people here manage developers and they walk in the room and they say, I have concerns, right? Developers are always paranoid and they, you know, I have this one developer who's like, you know, if it's a Tuesday and an alien is in Central Park, and um, I'm wearing red shoes, somebody can break into the website. I'm like, that's great, but that's a little bit over-paranoid. So definitely the daily scrum. It lets the developers communicate their issues and the business communicate back. And they, 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 after a period of time, they love it. They really love that forum.
1: Steve, do you think in general that Agile is less about hierarchy and more about the team,
4: more about collaborative? I, I think yes. Um, I, would not, I would not classify Agile completely that way um, as, a, as, a, as a general classification, but to answer your question, absolutely. Agile, in general, will force a team to work together as opposed to enforce the actual hierarchy of a team. And that's yeah, why the scrum is so important, because they feel equal with the manager. They don't feel like they're being managed. Yeah. They feel like they're in it together. More it decisions
1: isn't. being made down at the team
4: level. Exactly. Than, yeah. Kate?
6: The first time I heard the word agility it wasn't in the context of making software. Uh, I was talking to probably one of my fellow speakers about some, you know, airport nightmare and how I took a different flight at the last second because I was no checked luggage and and the person said, "Yeah, having that agility to be able to just, you know, change flights and not have the burden of worrying about your checked luggage makes all the difference." And when I hear agile programming, that's the mental image I have that I'm not weighed down with, oh, wait, I signed the 700-page document or I planned 11 months ago that I would have done this by now. And the only way you can be free of a process burden is uh, if you find another way to prevent what the process was trying to prevent. So the daily build prevents that whole Joe checked his stuff in and broke everybody else's forever and we just lost six months of work pain. And the daily, how you doing, is everything cool, what went right for you, prevents that, I don't know what anyone else is doing pain. So you have to look at and say, what would be the alternative to not doing this? It would probably be a really large document that we all signed and pretended to follow for the next four years. You know, we haven't Very said good.
2: the words yet, but it's always on my mind when I'm working with teams, which is developer thrashing. It's, and and there's so many different agile methods, agile elements that fight that. Pair programming is the ultimate anti-thrash practice, Because you can only thrash by yourself. Thrashing meaning going around and around, not doing anything, just sitting there sort of... Yeah, spinning in a circle, not getting any results because you're trying to fix a problem.
3: I have a very sad story about that, actually. Um, uh, One of the jobs that I had, uh, one of the short jobs that I had... uh, Yeah, I told you it was sad, right? Um, uh, Was at a company where I was... Well, I was a developer. And I, I was a new developer, I was given this task, doing something about, well, I, I, I'm not going to reveal the task exactly, but <laughs> there I was, I had this team lead and uh, told me, here's what you're going to do, it's really important to us, try to do that, we know you're, you're, you're good with .NET, so try to do that. And there I was, with all my ego, starting to do this amazing task. And a day goes by, two days go by, and I realize this is a bit harder than I thought. And a week goes by, and during that week, well, no one really talks to me because I keep going through the holes with a serious face, where, like I'm thinking, yes, how I'm going to solve this. No, no, do not talk to me right now. I'm very, very, very busy. Please, please, people. And uh, two weeks go by and no one really asks me how I'm doing. I'm not telling anyone how I'm doing because now I'm embarrassed. I told people it's going to take a couple of days and now it's been two weeks and nothing. And three weeks go by and I come, I come in uh, when, after three weeks have gone by and the team lead calls me in his office and he says, look Roy, um, I sat down with one of the other developers on that problem you were trying to solve. And we found a solution and we solved it in like 50 minutes. So, thanks.
5: <laughs>
3: and for uh, your what? You didn't tell me anything? I, I cannot believe you didn't tell me anything and whatever. And about two weeks later, I was out of a job again. So. <laughs> and it, I think that story goes to communication and lack of trust and too much ego on the side of the developer. And I think on the side of the uh, of the team lead, not enough communication trying to find out yeah, how yeah. stuff is going. The fact that you
2: were able to go that long really speaks to part
3: of the problem. And the fact right. that he went behind my back and solved something with a different developer, <laughs> I felt cheated, man. Yeah, really. That's I hard. Yeah, that and you know what you should think y- about yeah. the but daily deserved scrum? I every little thing that happened to me. Seriously. I, yeah. I should
2: have told someone that something that's happened. The interesting thing about the daily scrum is that it gives a that chance happens. to talk every day. You can't thrash for long. You can't thrash for more than a day, really. Should we
3: take uh, another question? Take that question. Okay, my question has to do with um, being agile when you're when you're not uh, really allowed to. <laughs> Let's say you have a business rule. The thing that uh, is an obstacle for you for
0: agility is uh, rules. One that says you can't do anything, uh, implement any module or functionality if there isn't a signed or approved requirement specification, an assigned implementation specification, and a time estimate let's say those are
3: the rules what would you suggest one would go about to still try to be agile
4: well i would say that go to the go to the functionality project backlog pick the features for the sprint have them sign off on it and say this will be a one month sprint that's that's one option and then and then do the sprint that particular way and then each sprint have them sign off on the actual you know the, on the backlog that's going into that sprint and that's probably a way around the bureaucracy that's being forced upon you and still be able to do some form of agile development.
6: My tip for you when you're talking to that manager is to call them phases. So you say, we're going to do this project in phases. And uh, they, they know that word. They're cool with that word. And then do what you want behind
4: the scenes. <laughs> Each phase is a sprint, right? So
1: it works pretty well. You say phase, I say sprint.
4: You say tomato, I say Tomato.
2: Another question on the left?
1: Um, well, more rather a comment.
8: Um, we haven't done Scrum basically like you're telling me so, uh, like you're explaining, but um, the Scrumish thing we did is really motivating for the team. You all sit together, say, okay, we're going to make this work in about a day, um, maybe two days, but we're just finished and we're going to deliver it. And the whole team, yeah, we're going to do that. And well, people get more excited about doing it. Rather than, okay, it's going to be a use case. Three weeks later, I'm going to deliver it. Mm. And nobody talks to each other. So I really think it helps motivate the team.
2: An interesting point there. Of course, Steve, you've been the one who's been talking about one-month sprints. What about one-day sprints?
4: That's actually an excellent point, is I told you I have four development teams, and one of those development teams does nothing but work with SQL Server integration services, which, by the way, you don't want to work with. (laughs) 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 However, if you've you've drank the Kool-Aid and... um, Devoted yourself to using SQL integration services. Uh, you do need a dedicated team member for that, and it's a team of one actually. So it's a very tiny team, one the smallest you can possibly have. And there are the you know the longest sprint we've ever done was probably about eight or nine days. And mm-hmm. most of the time, the sprints are about twenty-four to forty-eight hours. And it yeah, works out very well.
1: I have uh, visions of that Apollo 13, you know, where they say, okay, you got a bottle and a string and some tape, Let's get those guys home,
5: you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Hey, they got them home.
1: <laughs> um, guys, if, if, I think this would be a good time to uh, have Roy break out his guitar. Roy Oshirov, as if you don't know, is the Adam Sandler of .NET, <laughs> and uh, he's written a couple even of... He even looks
4: like him a little <laughs> bit.
1: He's written a couple of good songs. You can stay right there, Roy, I'll bring this over to you. And uh, about agile methodology, which he feels very
4: strongly about. He's that dedicated and that geeky. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Roy. None taken.
1: So if you that got that here already? early, you saw Roy playing his guitar a little bit and
3: testing it out. Okay. Now it's, not, it's a bit out of tune, but that's just how I roll. <clears throat> okay, so um, uh, this song is about... One of the first projects that I've done And I had a project I wasn't doing any Agile methodologies back then And the client kept, you know, asking new features Changing their mind And at the end, the project got moved to overseas (laughs) So that was nice (laughs) And this is a song I wrote about that project When I was just a new team lead, one of the clients came to me. Will we succeed? How much will it cost? Can we finish in half the time? (laughs) Yes, of course we can. Whatever you ask will be. The future is known to me ask will be (laughs) the second week the project ran the client called and told me this I changed my mind we need something else can you change it you're the man (laughs) yes I think we can (laughs) If we work really hard, we will We'll work nights nice and ignore the pain Please don't change your mind again <laughs> On the tenth month, the client called Said that he's moving the project abroad We're running too late We're doing it wrong It seems like this is our fate. Okay, sera. <laughs> Whatever will be, will be. The project moved overseas. Ksirahsirah.
5: Okay, there you
1: Well,
3: would you like to hear another one? Uh, okay, I have another one. Uh, here's Steven. Make yourself useful. Thank you. Oh, no, no. Um, okay, so this song um, is about one of the first projects that I did where I tried to do test driven development. And it's not the same song, don't worry. <laughs> it basically has two songs in it one is the one that I wrote as a programmer and the other is uh, what my team lead used to tell me when I tried to do test driven development (laughs) I wouldn't have written some tests for that class but my boss is a pain in the ass (laughs) so I'm sitting here writing that code. And if it breaks, I'll try to start debugging again. Baby, I want to write some tests for that class, but you guessed it.
5: The
3: first test is the hardest. Baby, I know. The first test is the hardest. When it comes to being buggy, I'm cursed. When it comes to finding bugs, I'm worse. Hey, hey, this is how I sound. Hey, dude, don't write that test. You were meant to do some real work. The minute you write a test before code, I'm gonna explode. It doesn't matter. Because if some tests you had would fail, it means you're frail. Don't carry that load upon your shoulders. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because writing tests is just for fools Who think they're cool Just write that class It'll be all better There are no bugs It's in your head Your code is perfect Now go to bed Remember, we're integrating next week Don't be a freak Just write that Sam
5: Black
4: Thank you very much Thanks to Roy Osterome Stephen Forte, Kate Gregory Richard Campbell, and Carl Franklin Have a
5: great show
0: .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .net ROCKS, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never Sleeps. .NET ROCKS is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back
4: car in my text